Okay. <clears throat> so again, if you don't have a handout, there are no more handouts. So look on with someone if, if you can. Um, so the necessity of scripture part two. <clears throat> so last week when dealing with the necessity of scripture, we first looked at it negatively. <clears throat> what I mean is we first looked at what the scripture or special revelation is not necessary for. Uh, first, we said that the Bible is not necessary for knowing that God exists. The Bible is not necessary for knowing that God exists. Romans 1 shows us that general revelation or creation, the things that God has made, stand as a witness against men. <clears throat> it stands as a witness against them as they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So all of men have an unavoidable embedded knowledge of God. The fact that men stand without excuse proves that God's revelation has actually penetrated and is inescapable because they stand without excuse. In other words, it's gotten through. <clears throat> um, we also saw that the Bible is not necessary for knowing something about God's character or his moral laws, knowing something about God's character or his moral laws. In Romans 2, um, Paul talks about the action of the conscience and Gentiles who do not have the written law. They don't have the written code. And they still, their consciences either still accuse them or excuse them. So today we actually, we turn, that was the negative aspect. So we look at, we'll look at the subject positively by asking, what is scripture necessary for? What is scripture necessary for? Which leads us to the necessity of scripture or special revelation. Okay, so we're going to walk through the subject in three headings that you'll see on your handout. The first is the Bible is necessary for the knowledge of the gospel. The second is the Bible is necessary for maintaining spiritual life. And the third is that the Bible is necessary for certain knowledge of God's will. Certain knowledge of God's will. So, <clears throat> again, the question we ask, <clears throat> do we need to have the Bible or to have someone tell us what the Bible says in order to know that God exists? We sort of answer that. Or that we are sinners that need to be saved or to know how to find salvation or to even know God's will for our lives. Do we need the Bible for that? Uh, I'm going to read a, a quote here. It's about maybe a paragraph and a half by um, Octavius Winslow. Um, <clears throat> Octavius Winslow, he's a 19th century preacher um, in England, and he was actually a contemporary of J.C. Ryle and Spurgeon. So here's, here's what he says in sort of trying to answer that question. He says, I turn to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, uh, 1 Timothy 1.11. And my case as a ruined, self-destroyed, condemned sinner is met by that single but comprehensive and sublime announcement. What is that announcement? That it is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners. He says, beloved reader, the kingdom of nature, replete as it is with the wisdom, power, and benevolence of Jehovah, Every spire of grass, every, every lowly flower, every towering mountain, every glimmering star, rebuking the fool's denial of God, can never disclose 
how you may be pardoned, justified, and saved. No solution can it supply to the great moral problem of the universe. How can God be just and yet justifier of the ungodly? The gospel of the grace of God meets the utmost your case as a sinner, bringing life to the to bringing life and immortality to light, and thus revealing to you a hope resplendent and eternal beyond the gloom of corruption of the grave. Everything that is solemn and precious to us as believers is bound up in the fact that the book upon which we ground our hope of the scripture uh, of the future is what it declares itself to be the word of God. So, in other words, the necessity of scripture means that scripture is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing certain things about God's will. Creation and all of its beauty only, can only ever stand against the unbeliever or the unjustified man and say, you're guilty. The beautiful flower will say, you're guilty. The mountains, they say, you're guilty. And they say you're guilty because they were created to point to the creator. They are the work of the hands of the creator. So if we see the mountain or we see the Grand Canyon, by us not attributing um, praise and glory to the creator, it's actually an act, an, an act of suppression of the truth. That's why creation itself can never bring us to a knowledge of God and all, uh, to, to a knowledge of salvation um, and how one must be saved. It screams, there is a God, but it can never bring us to salvation. Okay, so again, what is scripture necessary for? That's what we're talking about, the necessity of scripture, the necessity of special revelation, or you'll, you'll, you'll hear me use the term redemptive revelation as well. Okay, so first let's look at some text. Where's my little handy pointer? Um, right, right. One moment. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so John uh, twenty thirty one. But these are written so that so uh, the whole of John's uh, this letter, um, these truths about uh, Jesus as the Messiah, as you see in John. He says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These things, the word, is written so that you may believe and have life in his name. Mark 16, 15 to 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So there are two things happening here as the gospel is proclaimed. Some people will uh, not believe and are condemned, but some will believe and be saved. So special revelation goes um, beyond general revelation and through knowing the gospel, men can be saved. And the gospel is found in the word of God. 
So again, these texts show us that the communication of the gospel, either orally or in written form, is sufficient ground for both condemnation for unbelief, which general revelation does, but it's also sufficient um, to ground and confirm faith, which only the scripture or redemptive revelation can do. So another passage that affirms the sufficiency of scripture. Can I have someone read this for us? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, thank you. <clears throat> and then uh, James uh, 1.21 says, says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, which is able to save your souls. If scripture is not able to compel belief or salvation of itself, but needs additional evidences outside of itself, then the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture is dishonest and untruthful. Scripture <clears throat> stands alone without the necessity of other evidences. It stands alone as able to either condemn or save, as it is read or heard. <clears throat> okay, so that brings us to uh, the first point on your outline. I'll, I'll start walking under these titles. Um, the Bible is necessary for the knowledge of the gospel. So let's look, look at Romans chapter 10, uh, 13 to 17. Have someone read this, read this for us. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> so this passage sort of has a certain line of reasoning that I'm going to walk us through. So first, it assumes that someone has to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the righteous wrath of God. Uh, it also assumes that people can only call upon the name of Christ if they believe in him or believe upon him. That is, that he is a savior who is able to save, which we know happens through God's granting repentance. Um, people cannot believe in Christ unless they have heard or read of him. Uh, they cannot hear of Christ unless there is someone to tell them about Christ, a preacher or a proclamation of the Christ. The ordinary means that God uses to regenerate his elect is the preaching or proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that there are uh, exceptions, and those exceptions uh, require extraordinary means through which God does that. But his ordinary means is through the preaching of the word. 
So in thinking about his ordinary means, again, the conclusion is that saving faith comes by hearing, and this hearing of the gospel message comes through the preaching of Christ. So Christ must be preached. So this passage is one of many that shows that the eternal salvation of the believer comes only through belief in Christ and no other way. Um, we talked this past Tuesday um, at our young adults, uh, young family study, um, or maybe two Tuesdays ago, about the necessity of knowing and understanding the condition of men and the reality that there is only one way to God, and that is through his son, Christ Jesus. Um, I think at times, and I, I do this myself, I was thinking about how I talk about the gospel at times. As So there's, we can say, in the world, there's a belief that there's one path, there's another path, there's another path, all sort of lead to um, a deity who's sitting at the top of the mountain, and then he just sort of, he accepts the different roads, all are just trying to get to God. Um, we hear that a lot, but then there's also, even sometimes in our language, we can talk to people and say, you know, there is a, there is a road and there's only even this one road that leads to God, which is absolutely true. Um, but I challenged myself and thought, the whole of creation is set up for the glory of God, the redemption of the elect, and really the redeeming of the cosmos. There is no other reality. <laughs> it's only this one. It's only God has set everything up in such a way to bring him glory through the salvation of his elect and the redemption of the cosmos. So it's not, there isn't an alternative even way of understanding um, reality. That is reality. That is what every man has to deal with. Um, and again, the scripture lays it out for us. Okay, so rant over. Um, the love, okay, so where am I? Um, Romans 10. Oh, actually, I'm, I want to show you guys something. I was reading this yesterday, and I've seen this before. It made me very excited. I love to see it. I'm going to share it with you. Um, Romans 10. So look at this connection between Romans 10 and Joel 2. <clears throat> so I'm going to start in Romans 10. I'm going to start at verse... Uh, eight, and then put your finger at Joel 2. <clears throat> so Joel, going left in the Bible, you don't have to go far. Um, it's around the uh, Amos, Hosea area, a little further than Malachi. So put your finger at Joel 2, and then we're going to look at um, Romans chapter 10. Okay, so Romans 10, I'm going to start at verse 8, and I'm going to read down to verse 13. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, 
For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now flip back to Job chapter 2, verse 32. Job 2, 32. It says, and it, came, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. It is very interesting here that in Romans chapter 10, where it says that, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in verse 9, it's Iesus um, Kyrios, um, the Lord, or Jehovah is salvation in, in the Greek. And then in verse 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is pointing back to the Jesus is Lord. This is pointing back to Christ. Yet in Joel, when it says, oh, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved is um, is Yahweh. So there's a connection. So in Romans 10, Paul is looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus Kyrios, Jesus is Lord, Jehovah is salvation, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a, a direct quote from Joel who speaks about the saving name of the Lord, which is Yahweh. In other words, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is salvation. Yahweh is or Jehovah is salvation. So this isn't a new idea. This isn't a new concept that uh, salvation has now come. And when John the Baptist proclaims salvation and when the apostles um, say, well, he has come, the seed has come. These, this is the, the line of redemptive history from Genesis 3, 3.15 on out. Um, it is highlighting the salvation of God um, in his son, Jesus Christ, through the spirit which applies the work of Christ to the believer. Um, that made me excited. So I hope it made you excited too. <laughs> See the connection, hold to it, Jesus is Lord. Um, okay, so let's, let's continue. Running short on time here. A few other passages that I'll go through quickly on this point of um, the necessity of scripture and special revelation. John three eighteen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only Son of God, John 3, 18. Uh, John uh, 14, 16. Can someone read this for us? John 14, 16. Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. Okay, thank you. And then Acts 4, 12. Someone else want to read this one for us? There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. And then 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 2, 5 to 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. So again, thank you. Thank you guys for reading that. Uh, the, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> I cut you off. <laughs> okay, thank you. So the point we're making here, again, is that the Bible is necessary for knowledge of the gospel. 
And this redemptive revelation tells us how men can be redeemed. Indeed, how the elect will be redeemed. General revelation leaves us condemned with no way to vindicate ourselves or be expunged from under the righteous wrath of God that we've indeed stored up against ourselves for the day of wrath. Um, Again, this is why special revelation, the scripture, is needed. It tells us of redemptive history and the way for a man to be made right before his holy creator, before a holy God. Now, that may uh, lead to, I think, a good question, which is, if people can be saved only through faith in Christ, um, you might ask, how were people under the old covenant saved? How were people in the Old Testament saved? And that is a good question. Um, the simple answer is, in the same way that we look back on the cross of Christ in faith, they look forward by the word of God who spoke and said the promised seed was to come. The, crush, the one who would crush the head of Satan, Genesis 3.15. So um, I'm going to get some help from John Hendricks here. Um, on answering this question, how were those in the Old Testament saved under the Old Covenant? He says, a promise of blessing was specifically enacted or decreed through Abraham and his seed. You see that in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. A promise that included people from all nations, Genesis 12b, and, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When God makes his covenant with Abraham, those are his words to him. God established his covenant with Abraham, not based on anything he saw in him, since Abraham and his family was actually recorded as idolaters. They weren't anything special in and of themselves. What God says, look at you. You are standing out amongst all the peoples. Let me have you for myself. I'm going to work this plan of salvation and redemptive history through you. No, God sees uh, the wickedness of men and sets his affection on um, Abraham and chooses to reveal the promised seed through him as he purposed. So there was nothing again special in them. The promise was based on God's love and mercy alone. God said to Israel, you will be my people and I will be your God. This is covenant language. From the beginning, God reveals himself as establishing a covenant with a particular people of his choosing. The New Testament tells us that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. It was preached beforehand to Abraham. Do I have this slide? Where's my pointer? I do. And all scripture, this is such a good passage. And I've pointed this out before, but I'll do it again. It's great. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Preached the gospel before Abraham, but beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. How was this a preaching of the gospel beforehand to Abraham? Because in this, in you shall all the nations be blessed. In this is the promised seed spoken of in Genesis 3.15 who will crush the head of Satan. And God's working all of this out in redemptive history. The seed comes. He lives a perfect life. He dies. He's raised. He's resurrected. He ascends. And he is now at the right hand of God. God accomplishes the salvation, but he does this through the seed. And now 
all the nations, we all can partake in this, this God's elective purposes and be saved through Christ. Also, um, Romans um, 4, 3 to 8, which you can just note down for shortness of time. I won't go there now, but you can note that. Romans 4, 3 to 8 for more on this. Um, and then our Lord says of, um, of this, he says in um, John eight fifty six, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. John 8, 56. So how were people in the Old Testament saved? Was it by works? Was it by animal sacrifices? The answer is clearly no. Hebrews 10, 4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The Old Testament believer was saved by Christ and Christ alone. The gospel they knew was a shadow, but they were still saved by the blood of Christ. There is no other way of salvation except by the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world, Genesis 13:8. So again, uh, the answer has to be that those who were saved under the old covenant were also saved through trusting in Christ. Even though their faith was a forward looking faith based on God's word of promise that a Messiah or a Redeemer would come. They saw in shapes and tattles, uh, what did I say? Types and shadows? You see what I'm saying? They saw in shape, <laughs> types and shadows and Jesus Christ was concealed, we see, and fuller revelation, Jesus Christ revealed. I'm a poet. That shouldn't happen to me. I'm just joking. <laughs> um, okay, so continuing. Um, lost my place. Okay, so I actually have a note back to the point. That's, that's for my, I have a note for myself that says that. The Bible is necessary for salvation then in this sense. People have to either hear uh, the gospel or read the gospel for themselves um, to be saved. Even those believers who came to salvation in the Old Covenant were saved by trusting in the words of God that promised a Savior to come. Okay, so all that was under point one. The Bible is necessary for knowledge of God. Um, any thoughts really quick before I move forward to point two? Because these are point two and three. We'll spend a lot less time on, but any thoughts on point one? Ms. Um, yes, I think uh, about the uh, types and shadows. Oh, yes. Okay, so um, the Bible is necessary for salvation then in this sense. People have to either read the gospel message in the Bible for themselves or hear it from another person. Even those believers who came to salvation in the old covenant were saved by trusting in the words of God that promised the Savior to come. So, <clears throat> Will? Romans 10, right after the word message, and then it says, um, had they not heard of you, they had their verses brought up to all the earth and the words of the world. Um, it almost sounds like that's saying that they heard the gospel by the testimony of creation. 
we're in 10 uh, verse, I'm sorry, 10, 18. Um, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, um, have for their voice has went on to all the earth and their words to the end, end of the earth. But I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, <clears throat> Let me work through that. So I'll say this, and then maybe we can talk a little after. Um, I'll say this. There is a dis... I don't think that the reference to... Like, if, if we go back up, we're talked about the preaching. Um, how, how are you to hear without someone preaching? How, how are they to believe without having heard and that someone preaching... I don't think that someone is revelation because actually that passage um, in verse 18 that their voice has gone out from all the earth is a reference back to Psalm 19, which even in Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, there's this distinction between general revelation speaking and the word of God and special revelation speaking. So I think there is definitely a distinction there. Um, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I think there's a distinction between the hearing of the word of Christ and general revelation speaking. Um, but I can look through that more and maybe see the connection but in verse 18 specifically. But um, yeah, I can do that. But I, but I do think there's a distinction between the two. And I think the reference to Psalm 19 actually shows that. Um, okay, any other thoughts before we move forward? I was going to say drop that in the box. Okay. Box. Yes. I forget about the box. <laughs> okay. All right, so I'm going to go to point two. The Bible is necessary for maintaining spiritual life. So Jesus says in Matthew 4.4, 4, quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, <clears throat> man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So again, we're talking about the fact that the Bible is necessary for maintaining spiritual life. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, And he humbled you, speaking of Israel and their wanderings, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which in and of itself is crazy, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is uh, Jesus and his... Uh, temptation of the evil one, by the evil one quoting Deuteronomy, um, to, um, to uh, ward off or to stand against Satan. Here our Lord is telling us that our spiritual life is maintained by daily nourishment with the word of God. Just like our physical lives are sustained and preserved by daily nourishment with physical food, we eat every day. If some time goes by and we don't eat. As uh, was it, I think it was uh, Pastor David last week, Pastor Jackson, he preached and he brought up the term hangry. We get hangry at times. Um, to neglect regular reading and meditating on God's word is as detrimental to the health of our souls as the neglect of physical food is detrimental to the health of our bodies. People die from not eating. They die of starvation. Um, the need of the word of God for our souls is as detrimental. 
<clears throat> Again, our confession says um, here in uh, chapter 1, paragraph 7, in the 1689 uh, Confession of Faith, it says, All things in Scripture are not alike plain to themselves, nor alike clear unto all, yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded or laid open in some place of scripture or other, that not only the learned but the unlearned in due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. The Bible is not meant to show us how to fly a plane. The Bible is given as redemptive revelation, which shows us the way of salvation and how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Okay, and we talked about that in past lessons. We can't come to the Bible and say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't give the answer to all things. It doesn't tell me how to do um, trigonometry. That's not why the scripture was given. Um, you don't need tri trigonometry to be made righteous before a holy God. Amen. You need Praise salvation, God. which comes through Christ. <laughs> if we need a trigonometry, <laughs> we'd be jacked up. <laughs> but, and even beyond that, the salvation, I think about the fact that the scripture talks about the Lord creating the heavens, uh, stretching out the heavens with his, with his finger, um, defeating his enemies with his hand, and bringing salvation with the strength of his arm. That's amazing. <laughs> the depth and the strength of the Lord in bringing salvation. It goes from, in a sense, finger to hand to arm that he saves his elect. The Bible is necessary for salvation, and God does that through his Son as we see it in the Word of God. Okay, last point. The Bible is necessary for certain knowledge of God's will. In the Bible, we have clear and definite statements about God's will. God has not revealed all things to us, but he has revealed enough for us to know his will. Deuteronomy 29:29, And most of you have probably seen or read this before or, or heard it. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to God, the things revealed belong to us, that we may actually do them. And it was at this time, as it was at this time, so it is now with us. God has revealed his words to us so that we may obey his law and do his will. To be blameless, it says in Psalm 119, to be blameless in God's sight is to walk in the law of the Lord. Um, the blessed man is one who does not follow the will of wicked people, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. I cannot overemphasize the importance of, as, as I'm learning myself, of meditating on the word of God. Um, praying, reading, and actually giving thought to what we've read in the scripture and the spirit working those things into our mind and soul as we think about the word of God. It is, I'm learning myself that's so important. Um, to love God and thereby to act in a way that is pleasing to him is to keep his commandments. 
If we are to have a certain knowledge of God's will, then we must attain it through the study of Scripture. So again, the Bible is necessary for salvation. Uh, the Word of God, um, Scripture, um, redemptive revelation, special revelation, it brings us to a knowledge of salvation. And I understand that there are exceptions. How does the person who is um, deaf or mute or blind or has some type of um, handicap, how do they hear the word? How does God save them? And that's what I meant when I said extraordinary means. Um, I think that God can, in the same way that you know, he saves someone who has a, a, a handicap um, or who is blind and can't see, um, he saved that same person who is deaf and can't hear by even, uh, and I've heard, even in the um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, you have a lot of um, accounts in there of, you know, people in, in, in other countries never having access to the word, but God uh, penetrating and even in, in dreams and things, them seeing, and that, that's what I mean by redemptive revelation. They might not have someone in telling them, but you see even in those accounts, God penetrating someone's heart and even showing them in a dream their sinfulness and that there is a way of escape from the wrath of God. I think those are, I think it happens so rarely that it's, it's, it's hardly needs to be necessarily mentioned or expounded upon, but I think those are extraordinary means that God uses. He's not bound in that way, but I stress the ordinary means of God saving his elect is by the preaching of the word. Don't put so much emphasis on the extraordinary means. Know that what God has revealed in his word is that we proclaim the gospel. And that's how he saves. And so we do that. Um, so I want to end with a, a quote by um, Thomas Brooks, uh, a Puritan of the 17th century. He says, remember, it is not hasty reading but serious meditating upon holy and revealed truths that make them prove sweet and profitable to the soul. It is not the bees touching the flower that gathers honey, but her abiding for a time upon the flower, which draws out the sweet. It is not he who reads most, but he who meditates most, who will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. He's emphasizing, again, the necessity of reading the word and the necessity of meditating on the word. We have been given a precious gift. Most of us have maybe two and three Bibles in our homes. Um, this is a, a, a precious gift. This is in the word is revealed what general revelation does not reveal and cannot reveal. General revelation can never speak and say, the way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. God in his wisdom has given his word and has given us a knowledge of his word and mouth to speak how one can be saved. The proclaiming of the gospel can change a man's eternal state. And God, by his grace, brings us into that and says, proclaim my words faithfully as ambassadors of Christ. So that's what we do by God's grace. So again, um, all of that to look at positively, what is scripture necessary for? Um, any further questions, write them and put them in the green box. 
Um, I think another three weeks we'll be doing the um, Q&A. So if anything else comes to mind or if, you know, you think of something that was mentioned during this, the class or even outside of the class, you're digging through something on this subject and you say, man, I want to ask about that, feel free to write it down, put it in the box, and we'll give our time to digging through it and trying to answer and we'll answer what we can and we want what we can. <laughs> so with that, um, let me pray and then we'll close out.